You're listening to the Sound Girls podcast with Susan, Becky, and introducing Katie Pagich. This episode features an interview with Jet Galindo of The Bakery. She has worked on albums spanning a wide array of genres and artists, Jamila Woods, The La La Land OST, Barbara Streisand, Weezer, to name a few. Graduating with summa cum laude honors from the Berklee College of Music, Jet joined the famed Mastering Lab in 2013 as the sole right-hand woman to pioneer mastering engineer Doug Sachs. She worked on various notable vinyl releases, including Pink Floyd's final album, Endless River. Most recently, through The Bakery, Jet has helped pave the way for growing audiophile releases in the video game industry, mastering award-winning releases such as Lena Raine's Minecraft, Nether Update OST, and Rosen Raven's Legend of Zelda, Children of Termina album. Outside of mastering, Jet also serves as a contributing writer for various trade publications and organizations like Isotope's Learn Portal, Women in Sound, and Sound Girls. So welcome to the podcast, Jet. Welcome, Jay. Yay. Hello. Nice to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for being on here. Uh, before we got going here, we were just talking a little bit about how, like, I've seen you around um, our world, our production world quite a bit, uh, popping out here and there at NAM and, and Sound Girls and stuff like that. We've been wanting to get you on. It's a, it's a small community. <laughs> yeah, we've been wanting to get you on for a while and talk about mastering, just because I, I feel like there's not a lot of people that interview mastering engineers and talk to mastering engineers. And I'm super curious about how you do your job and, and what your job entails. So if you could kind of give us a little little brief synopsis for those of us who don't know what a mastering engineer really is, like what sure. exactly do you do? Um, the easiest way to define it is by naming the three stages of music production. Um, so the first stage is of course recording and if you think of like the anal analogy of food, for example, um, recording is very much like you're gathering your ingredients, mm -hmm. um, gathering all the small pieces in the large picture to make sure that um, you have every individual ingredient you need in order to come up with a dish. So with recording, you're, you're acquiring all the individual instruments in your production. And then the second stage is mixing, where once you've gathered all your ingredients, it's time to blend them all together and make sure that you have the right um, measurements for each ingredient to make sure that they all just blend seamlessly and harmoniously with each other so that all these individual ingredients will turn into one dish. And mastering is the very final stage where you, the bakery, it's like you put it in the oven mm -hmm. so that it finally cooks and then you do the final plating and put in all the garnish. So when you think about mastering, it's more about putting all the final touches in the approved mix so that the music is best represented and appreciated on all the different commercial playback systems and platforms and formats. So mixing, a lot of people think is like the final stage of the music production, but then um, once you've approved the mix and all the people involved in the production has approved of that final sound, now you're taking into account how is it going to be interpreted in all these um, different playback systems that have different um, technical specifications and mm. all these different formats that have like different quirks. So for example, the vinyl format has all these unique characteristics that that 
affect how music sounds on that format. So it's in the mastering world where we take all these details into account and also um, embedding all the necessary metadata so that when it the music gets distributed in um, the marketplace, it's easier for the music to be tracked and yeah, to make sure that the proper format is delivered into every commercial playback system and, and, and distributor. So in a nutshell, that's what mastering is. Um, a lot of people think that it's a purely technical process, but even though mastering is um, happens w- much more quickly than the recording and mixing stage, and even though we only work with a two-channel um, audio file where everything's already mixed and approved, yeah? Mm-hmm. But then there's a lot of room for creativity as a mastering engineer on that small time frame and it's hard to explain to what extent we can be creative in mastering but that's why we always love attended sessions in in our mastering studio because um, a lot of people get surprised by how big the difference mastering can make with yeah. all these little adjustments here and there i was blown um, away the first time i heard the process you know so like i heard someone's mixed down and then there's i heard their stems and they're mixed down and then they're like oh wait till you hear it in a few weeks you know and then i heard it and i was like what like it's a huge difference right you're a wizard and, and the thing is <laughs> yeah um and anytime we go to the mastering process and have um attended sessions with our clients we always like our clients to sit in our engineer's chair and we a b between the mastered and unmastered mm. and people can get blown away by the difference. In mastering, it's all very small increments of adjustments, Mm -hmm. but all these small adjustments result to a huge change that doesn't really take the music away from its original sound, but really just enhancing it. So Very cool. Mastering in a nutshell. (laughs) I love the way you describe it. And you're at the bakery now, the mastering facility, the bakery, right? Correct. So you're like the icing on the cake. (laughs) <laughs> yes icing on the cupcake our logo is a cupcake i saw that it's adorable I noticed. it's my favorite <laughs> it's cute so you went uh you grew up in the philippines yeah and your parents were artists is that correct that's true or are artists you kind of get that from just my name yeah yeah <laughs> the fact that i was named john jet um but yeah they're a huge influence to why i'm a mastering engineer today and the funny thing is because they're musicians themselves, they didn't want their kids to pursue music. It, it's funny <laughs> how that works. Because for them, they know how there's a lot of risk to um, being in the entertainment industry. Yeah. But at the end of the day, you can't really, you can't avoid when someone's passionate about it. And it actually gives that person that drive to really go deeper and succeed and work hard because there's no other career path that really worked for me personally. And going into audio was just something that made so much sense for me when it that opportunity presented itself. What age were you when you uh, came to, did you go to Berkeley for college? Is that how you, you know, Yep. Got into um, the whole mastering but, thing or tell us a little bit about that? Uh, that's a good question. I actually have been mastering even before I went to Berkeley. Okay. So I did go to Berkeley College of Music to study music production and engineering. But 
in the Philippines, there's no audio engineering program. Okay. And when I discovered this audio engineering career path, I knew I wanted to pursue it. But since there's no audio program in the Philippines, what I did to prepare myself was to find a recording studio to work in. And even that in itself is hard to do in the Philippines. So rather than work in a recording studio, I told myself, I just want to be exposed to computers and, and media as much as I could. Because I've always been a tinkerer of, of computers. I've okay. My dad got me into that. So I've mm -hmm. been building computers and I did web development when HTML was still just starting out <laughs> in, in like the late 90s. Yeah, so I didn't know any recording studios personally in the Philippines back when I was starting out. But I did know that in the university I studied in in the Philippines, in Ateneo University, there's a multimedia training facility that teaches web design, video editing, okay. um, graphics design to priests and nuns. Um, oh, wow. I like saying this uh, story about me because, yeah, <laughs> for, for a year... I was teaching and organizing multimedia training classes to priests and nuns. <laughs> but it just so happened. That's such a specific <laughs> thing. It's freaking specific, man. <laughs> I've had all the stories I can tell. <laughs> like, um, Tell them, tell them. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, imagine just teaching web design to old priests from Sri Lanka yeah. and India and, and even in the Philippines on... Just imagine teaching them how to put, like, <laughs> just to code HTML back in the day. I mean, we had, like, a two-month intensive course. But anyway, I digress. So what it you're saying so is you that, are very patient. That, in other words. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Actually, that helped a lot in this, in this career we're in right now. Yeah. But this multimedia training facility was part of, they actually have a recording studio. And at that time, I knew it was there. But, I mean... I didn't expect them to have an opening or anything, but that um, media communications building um, records some well-known um, Christian music in, okay. in the Philippines. Okay. And it's really good music, actually. But at that time, when I told the director, who's a Jesuit priest, that I wanted to pursue um, sound engineering in the United States... He said, oh, we have a recording studio here. Um, would you oh, want wow. to intern? Because we're looking for interns right now. It's kind of like um, just a really cool, the timing of it like, all. Right place, right time. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And I think it's just like us manif manifesting to ourselves that we want to do this. And sometimes just because of how much we believe that this is what we want to do, it's like... Mm -hmm the universe kind of like oh puts things in front of you but then right. you, you also have to enter through those doors that open but um another story that i like to share anytime i talk about my career was that i almost didn't get the internship because um the day before my internship started the head recording engineer found out that jet was a woman and mm. for him um the recording studio is just for guys or, or okay. like to, to work in a recording studio, he's only going to train guys. Um, and the director already signed me up along with another intern who said, dude. So 
it was too late for him to say no. But <laughs> my first few weeks um, interning in that studio was a lot of just me trying to prove myself. Because my mentor, well, he became my friend eventually. But my mentor just kept reminding me that mm. I'm a girl. And <laughs> girls don't last know. long in this industry. Wow. And there's this um, saying where when when people say that you're you're not good enough, you're more determined to prove otherwise. Mm -hmm. And I guess it was that determination, but also at the same time, I've never felt more at home. Like I've never felt more at peace than being in sound. And even though I work during the days teaching um, web design and graphics <laughs> designs to priests, it was during the night where I interned in the recording studio and it was just long hours. Um, I would work till 4 a.m. in the studio, but it's all just like joy and excitement for me. And and I, I just relished every moment of me being in, in a recording studio. And um, from being an intern, I eventually became the um, head in-house recording engineer in that studio and awesome. once I've earned my mentor's trust um, he's also taught me the whole process of mixing and mastering and thankfully even though in the Philippines where we don't have that much resources he taught me um, the right foundations with when it comes to mastering very um, cool. we, um, my very first mastering DAW was WaveLab which is also a um, reputable mastering DAW to this day here in the U.S. So when I finally got into Berkeley College of Music and I took the mastering elective, I, I guess the professor, Jonathan Weiner, um, took notice of that. And when you're pursuing audio, you don't necessarily say, I want to be a mastering engineer when I <laughs> right. grow up. In fact, I didn't think I'd be a mastering engineer because, I mean, mastering is such a niche field. And back then, I just knew I wanted to pursue sound and I guess anyone who's in sound has like different interests and, and detailed career paths to go into and at that time since I'm also a choral singer I was very much interested in in being a scoring engineer during that time it's just that it was the career path that I was familiar with I was seeing photos of Leslie Ann Jones mm -hmm. just doing her scoring sessions at Skywalker <laughs> and me being a classical musician. I think I never mentioned it, but I was in classical while my parents are all in this rock pop music. Um, <laughs> yeah, th th that's, that's pretty cool. Awesome. <laughs> I know, exactly. That's so bizarre. Um, it, but, that yeah, sounds so... backwards to me, but I like it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But you know what? Um, I'll, I'll get into that later, but having both classical and, and just pop modern sensibilities helps in mastering. Anyway, um, so in my head, I was just going to be in a recording studio, just working in music or, or doing scoring engineering. And, and actually, my first job um, waiting for me um, after graduating from Berkeley is to do live sound for classical festivals in the Aspen Music Festival in Colorado. Sweet. But because I was an international student, my employment authorization card didn't arrive on time. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't allowed to go to Aspen 
to do my job. And it sucked because I blocked three months just oh. to work in Aspen, Colorado for the Classical Music Festival. And now my schedule is open and the clock is ticking because international students got to yeah. work for one year. Um, but yeah, it's just me knocking on every door and, and reaching out to people um, for connections on where to work in sound. It just so happened that I was recommended to send in an internship application form for Avatar Studios in New York. The first time I sent my internship application, I didn't hear back, but I decided to send it again. And then I heard the second time. And it was my internship in Avatar Studios in New York um, where I met Jerry Barnes who was the producer and bassist of Nile Rodgers and Chic? And he had his own studio in Avatar. And after my internship in Avatar um, finished, he hired me as his um, full-time recording and and mixing engineer in his studio. And I thought I was set for life. It's like, shit, this is the thing I want to do. But then the mastering professor in Berkeley... Jonathan Weiner reached out to me saying that, hey, I, I have this opportunity um, that's pretty serious and it has to do with mastering. And I'm only going to give you the details if you're serious about pursuing this. And mm. me, since I'm already in New York and I thought that I was pretty much set for my career path, I just asked for more details because as an international student, yeah, you have to um, think through your the decisions you make because you don't have much time. Right. And Jonathan just said, if you're asking all these details like about the pay and all that, then it's probably not, not meant for you. Um, what he's trying to say is um, he himself is the one reaching out um, to students that he believes is, is meant for this career path. So take it for what it is. Um, it's either you believe in it or you don't. Yeah. At that point, I realized that Jonathan's only reaching out because um, he knew that it was pretty much a life-changing opportunity for someone mm. who who deserves it. And at that point, I said, okay, let's, let's talk about this. And it was um, to work directly as the right-hand woman of Doug Sachs, um, the mastering lab, and not Very a lot of cool. people know about Doug Sachs, but for the people in mastering, um, he is pretty much um, considered the grandfather of mastering. So he was the very first person who opened an independent mastering facility in 1969. Um, wow. Or 1979. But yeah, he's the man behind all the Al Schmidt um, masters, um, The Doors, Eagles, Diana Krall, Ray Charles. Just Wow. Um, an amazing human being. And I was fortunate enough to get the, the gig. I packed my bags in New York. Left New York <laughs> to work in like Bumblefuck, Ojai, California. Um, but from that on, the rest is history. Um, there were a lot more hurdles to go through at that point. Um, so I started working for Doug in 2013. But he passed away in 2015. Mm. So a lot of things um, I had to go through just to get to this point of still mastering full time. But the one thing that kept me determined is the fact that 
um, I learned mastering from Doug Sachs. Why would I yeah. let it go? Yeah. And I'm still mastering to this day. So <laughs> sorry for that long storytelling. No, that, <laughs> I, I loved it. I'm super interested to hear, you know, how you got into the business. And, and, and just because of that, too, because you're fairly young uh, compared to me anyway. <laughs> and, um, and for you to be a mastering engineer of the caliber that you are already, I was interested to find out how you got in and, and what you did. But it seems like persistence is the key uh for you <laughs> i think for for all women because yeah. i mean women in general we're not expected to be doing what we're doing so i guess we um we get used to the fact that people are telling us that you're meant to be doing something else so in a way it helps that the women in audio just have that ingrained persistence <laughs> more than any others probably yeah that might be true <laughs> yeah I was just wondering, Jet, um, I guarantee you have these hypersensitive, hypercritical ears. Does that affect how you listen to music like off hours? That's so fun. That, I, I like the question. Not a lot of people ask about that. Um, but first of all, with mastering, um, you don't get into this career path because you have golden ears. A lot of people think that mastering engineers are gifted with like, um <laughs> hyper like um who's that um superhero with like sensitive ears <laughs> but anyway i digress um we have critical listening because of what we do and we listen to music the same way but then the more you get into mastering and the more you um collaborate with clients and artists who give you a very specific set of notes on how they want their final master to sound like, your ears start to adapt and start to get more used to a critical level of listening where um, adjustments in one um, bandwidth is boosted or attenuated by um, tenths of a dB. It's because the job calls for it. But we all start, we all listen the same way, all musicians. It's like we listen to music um how we're expected to in our jobs. But to answer your question, the funny thing is in mastering, our goal is to make sure that by the end of the mastering session, we've done enough that we, we're like really liking the sound of the music, regardless of the genre. It's like we have to make mastering decisions that serve the music. So we have to maintain that that appreciative like um, music enthusiast side of ourselves but also at the same time we have to approach the music in an objective way as well so sometimes if the music is too good it happens sometimes <laughs> i try to like enjoy the music first and get it out of my system so so you can pick it apart i can like <laughs> yeah i like it happens like sometimes it's like why is this so good? It's like, I can't work. It's like, I, I need to like <laughs> grow to this song first. I, I'm just blown away by musicians with all the creativity that gets into their music. And, and it makes me just love mastering so much more because I get to work with these people. And also to add to your question, it's funny because when I'm outside the mastering studio, Maybe it's just me, but I'm also good with like tuning out sounds 
And it's funny because my partner, my boyfriend, actually has a more sensitive hearing. <laughs> like he can hear the faintest of sounds. And when we're at home, we we don't have our, our volume too loud. And it's good. It's good to live with someone with sensitive hearing because <laughs> you get to like tune out um, when you're not at work. <laughs> do you listen to the same kind of music that you master or is it, it do you have sometimes songs or albums that you're mastering where you're just like, oh, my God, I can't wait for this to be over. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. Um, There's three of us mastering engineers in the studio and we all have our like personal preferences. Like for me personally, maybe because I was just exposed to um, upbringing where I'm just surrounded by pop music and, and modern music all the time. But I really just gravitate to pop, EDM, hip hop. Um, it's not, a, people <laughs> tend to not expect that from me as a classical musician, but right. I, I really just gravitate to pop that's experimental. And, and that makes me so happy that I master a lot of independent artists because they fall in that perfect like combination of experimental but mainstream. The one genre that, that I really have a hard time just plowing through, me and my colleagues ask that question. It's like, what is the one genre that you struggle <laughs> working on? And for me, I'm sorry, it's vanity albums. I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with that term, but <laughs> it's funny for anyone working in, in the recording studio world, there's always going to be that one vanity project where the client has mm. shit ton of money <laughs> and they just put in all the money to hiring the best people, the best composers, but <laughs> there's nothing like... It's like there's no soul just because it's like <laughs> it's just, they just want to put their money into. Well, don't get me wrong. It's it's good for the industry that there are people with like um, with all this cash <laughs> just putting their money into um, putting all these um, albums. But I don't feel as much like heart and soul in, in yeah. the music. And it's usually just like um, standards, like traditional um standards and it's them singing <laughs> and it's like okay let me just get through this <laughs> but but you know what well that just made me think of like, like um like the nfl players that that put out rap albums or the nba players exactly, that put out rap albums exactly okay. <laughs> ah, yeah that kind of vanity project gotcha I, even in the philippines in the recording studio work that oh, like vanity projects ah, yeah yeah I guess the most um, infamous example of a vanity project is is Friday. That the song Friday. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's a very um, weird answer, but that's how that's my honest <laughs> answer to that question. A great, refreshing <laughs> answer. Jed, I was wondering, like you work with um, artists, is there a time where like they don't have the language to explain what they want, and how do you work with people? who have less experience maybe in asking for what they want? That's a good question because um, anytime I write um, mastering articles or when I'm part of mastering panels, um, the one thing that I really stress about mastering is that it's not just a one-directional 
destination to getting the final mastered sound. It's not like you as the artist or client just give us the mix and you just wait on the sidelines and you just expect a final product after we've put like our, our pixie dust mastering touches <laughs> here and there. So how mastering works is mastering engineers are there to serve you in, in a way that we need your feedback to make sure that we take your master, uh, we take your mix to its final mastered sound. Because again, with music, it's all very subjective. It's not something where you can say something is right or wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, we have the the tools and the ears to to make mastering decisions where we know we can make something sound better. But we also have to do it in the context of what the client believes is um, their vision for the music. So yeah, especially for um, new clients who's just exploring mastering for the first time. And it's happened before where they struggle with trying to express or um, articulate how they envision the final sound of their music to be. Um, What I like to advise is for them to envision their music on a Spotify playlist. I believe that's relatable for everyone, right? What I ask them is to um, visualize who the other artists and music is included in that playlist. And by giving me a very short list of those artists or songs, it kind of gives me a better idea of how they want their final music to sound like. There are also times where um, I don't really hear back from the client and they just ask me to do what I think would be best for the music. And I would definitely do that. And sometimes it's it's hearing that first master where the artist gets a better picture of how they want the final music to sound like. So we articulate and we we finesse the sound from there. And many times, especially if it's a first-time client who's never had mastering done before, this is my advice to other mastering engineers. The revisions are part of the process. Do not feel that your mastering results are any less because there are revisions. Don't even consider it that way. Revisions are a big part of of getting to know the artist. And especially for first-time clients, expect there to be revisions because you're still getting to know the artist. And many times, if it's uh, an artist that I've worked with for so many years, usually it, it's like an instant approval. Sometimes it's like um, one change here and there, but it's always good if you're the artist to find a mastering engineer that you really jive with, mm. not just sonically, but even just as humans, like there are people that we we um, have better chemistry with, and it's that working um, relationship that really blossoms and just grows over time. And mastering is is a very human process that way because the mastering engineer who's really trained to work in like really small increments start getting to know you and your vision, and 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 your sound also grows with you as you guys build that relationship. So that's cool. Yeah, it, it's really a, a collaborative process. That's awesome. Uh, do you have some advice for youngins coming up that want to get into mastering engineering? Yeah. Or something you'd like to share with them about how to or where to go or how to find? <laughs> 
I'm sure nowadays there's gonna be more um, young uh, musicians, engineers that will want to get into mastering, and and that's good. That just means that um, more people are becoming aware of what mastering is. Mm-hmm. Like back in the day, like I said, <laughs> no one just decides that they want to be a mastering engineer. Right. It's something that that fell on my lap, um, but I've always had an interest in it. Um, it's good to keep your your options open in audio because like for me I, I wanted to be a scoring engineer but I've always had an interest in all these many fields mm-hmm. and you'd be surprised that you're gonna get into a different sub career path in audio so it's always good to love audio in general because mm-hmm. maybe even if you said that you want to be a mastering engineer you're eventually going to be in like audio forensics or something. So that's my <laughs> I think one that advice. That would be the coolest job too. It's that cool, is right? like that is something I've been researching for about a year now because it's I so am cool. very interested. And there's <laughs> colleges that specialize in it, and so oh my that's God. so cool. That's honestly my next right? uh, couple then, of years. What I'd like to get like, into. I've always liked watching medical detectives and Discovery yeah. Channel going up, and, and you see, you see all these like audio forensics. It's so cool. So. Um, my advice um, for any young aspiring um, sound engineer, it's good to keep your your um, all those doors open. Love audio, and and if you ever want to get your feet wet in in mastering, the one advice that I'm sure many other mastering engineers are gonna recommend is to find a mentor, and I'm sure this applies to other um, fields in audio. Yeah connect with someone who's willing to give you advice on exploring their career path. And mentors don't necessarily mean that you're going to be shadowing them 24-7. A mentor is someone who would give you um, advice that's very unique to their field. And it's sometimes not even covered in when you're in school. That's good. So, yeah, it doesn't have to be like, tips and techniques on how to master a track. Um, Many times um, you can initiate a a mentoring relationship by just reaching out to a professional that you really admire and aspire to. Even just um, hop on a call or like grab coffee with them. And and it's that advice you get from mentors that's going to help you get started. On the other side of the coin, um, not everyone gets to have mentorship opportunities. And it doesn't mean that it lessens your chances in pursuing your career path. And one thing that I brought up in another Soundgirls panel that I did about mastering, there's this amazing mastering engineer that I really look up to. Her name's Katie Tavini. She's based in the UK. And she's... um, gone on the record saying that she's an established mastering engineer even though she's never had any mentorship because it was just not available to her and even if you don't um, manage to have access to a mentor you actually can grow as a mastering engineer by treating your fellow musicians as your mentor in a way by collaborating with that's good advice and the thing is with mastering you really hone your mastering skills by working on other music Um, because it's pretty much the foundation of mastering where you take on music 
with an unbiased big picture perspective. So as a mastering engineer, what I actually work on is other people's music on a regular basis. And many times you actually build your portfolio and your clientele by offering to master other people's music. And when you're starting out, it's this collaborative back and forth between you and the musician that really hones your skill as a mastering engineer. And when that artist comes out and, and releases their music, people are going to ask who mastered your music. And it's all going to be word of mouth from there. A lot of my success as a mastering engineer is because of word of mouth. Mm-hmm. And also, you don't need to buy like $10,000 plugins, outboard gear, or speakers <laughs> to get started. In fact, many of the plugins you have is already good enough to get you started in, in your mastering journey. Like a lot of the FabFilter plugins are used by mastering engineers to this day. I use Pro L2 a lot, Pro Q3. Um, it's not about the quantity of tools you have in your arsenal. It's about quality. And quality doesn't mean $1,000 plugin. Quality is about getting to know every parameter in the plugin mm-hmm. and knowing the function. Like even just the shape of the EQ curve that you're, you're working with, understanding what a 6 dB per octave high-pass filter can do versus a 24 dB per octave, that already makes you even more powerful as a mastering engineer. So, mm. yeah, those, those are my advice. I could listen to you talk about this all day. <laughs> <laughs> we should yeah, have a roundtable mentoring session in NAM where all the different experts are just in one roundtable. Right, Becky? (laughs) That would be amazing. The the live um, sound engineers, the mastering engineers, the the marketing people. (laughs) Good luck. It's not, we're never going to (laughs) finish. Yeah, we'd be talking for till next NAM doing all that. Yeah. (laughs) I don't mind. Right? All right, we got to ask you the question. Who wants to go for the the end question? What is it? (laughs) Jet, what is your go-to beverage? Oh, you know, I know that was on the list of questions. (laughs) God, I'm going to be so stereotypical with this, but it's like, I don't know, milk tea, boba or something. (laughs) Is that stereotypical? Oh, I'm sorry. Hey, I don't know. I love it. I just love my my bubble tea. You do you, girl. Especially taro. And and if you guys should, you guys should try hot taro bubble tea like that was my go-to back in berkeley and anytime i walk to work luckily the studio is just a walking distance from where i live there's this fancy um, boba shop in culver city that that makes amazing warm hot taro bubble tea so yeah See, that's, that's an unexpected answer. It is unexpected. Yeah, I've totally. never had that in my life, and now I'm <laughs> Try inspired. it, man. I will. <laughs> Susie, uh, next time I'm out, she's nodding. <laughs> next time I'm out in L.A., <laughs> like it's on. You and I are going. Oh, gosh, yeah. <laughs> we're we're going to do a Sound Girls field trip to a boba shop. Let's do it. I'm, I'm totally Wait, before down. we go... Can we like mm-hmm. manifest that you're gonna get to master Joan Jett's music? <laughs> Let's ask the Let's universe. Oh it. yeah, please. <laughs> Let's do please. it. I, I actually, I already told the mastering engineer of Joan Jett. 
<laughs> that. I'm yes. telling you, I'm manifesting. So the, a longtime mastering engineer of John Jet is Bob Ludwig. And he's considered one of the living legends in the yeah. mastering world. And he even sent me this the video of the Runaways movie with um who's this actress? But yeah, it's the new Runaways movie. Is that yeah, Kristen? Came out yep. like five Stewart? Years ago. Kristen, she Kristen Stewart, yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. nice. Goal. Yeah. So he sent me the movie. It's like, hey, I'm manifesting here. <laughs> I mean, that's even just amazing. Me cutting a little demo seven inch vinyl record for her. It's all already gonna make me happy. <laughs> yes, I'm hoping. It's gonna I happen. It. I know it. <laughs> I know it. We need to wrap this joker up, man. We're gonna have way too much fun. I mean, I just kinda wanna hang out with y'all all day and drink some bubble tea and just yeah. chill. But I gotta yeah. I gotta go. <laughs> yep, yep. It's fun, Becky. Thank you, Susan. Thank you, Katie. This was awesome. Thank you, Jen. It was so Thank nice you. to hang out with you. Yeah, till till now. Till next time. Yeah, till next time for sure. Thank you so much, and thanks for being such an awesome supporter of Sound Girls. Also, we love oh, it's you. a pleasure. <laughs> See you guys. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Sound Girls podcast, resonating beyond sound. We look forward to interviewing another amazing sound human next week and hanging out some more with all you sound girls. The Sound Girls Living History Project is a collection of oral history interviews that highlights the careers and achievements of women and underrepresented groups in audio. One of the interviews is with Stephanie Brown, a sound editor and dialogue and ADR supervisor known for her work on The Incredible Hulk, 8 Mile, A Wrinkle in Time, and many others. Working on The Matrix was probably my favorite because at the time we didn't know what that movie was going to be, but we knew something was going to happen. And to see the phenomenon that movie became was amazing. And then to be involved in the sequels, it's still the highlight of my career is just being involved in that. Be sure and catch the full interview with Stephanie Brown, along with all the other Living History interviews, over on the Sound Girls website or YouTube channel. If you're looking for more to listen to, here's what some of our friends in the podcasting community have in store for you. Find them all over on audiopodcast.org. Have a great week, everyone. Hi, this is Michael Helms, host of the Location Sound Podcast. My recent guest is production sound mixer Byron Mayer, based out of Copenhagen, Denmark. We talk about recording sound on the feature film Torbos, the official Oscar entry for South Africa. Check out the latest episode.